With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast as we reflect on uh, yet another eventful week at Goodison Park and we uh, preview Everton's home game of Wolverhampton Wanderers um, tomorrow. Um, I'm your host, Chris Beasley, joined by our regular guest, um, Everton statistician, and I'm told we should call him the Goodison Guru these days, um, Gavin Buckland. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> over at uh, Echo Towers, we've got uh, Conor O'Neill and uh, Matt Jones as well. We'll actually start with a bit of football today, actually, a bit of Bit of breaking news, um, Mason Holgate on his way down to Southampton to complete a season-long um, loan move. Actually, if I, if I start with you, um, Gav, I mean, what are your thoughts on that one? Is, is a player for, at one point, not in the too um, distant past, so who's actually been linked with big money moves to, to Manchester City and there he is uh, heading out the, the Premier League, albeit on a temporary basis. Yeah, Holgate's a, a classic case of how... Um... Uh, uh, players, you know, fans regard the player as saying somatically, hasn't it? Really, I see them call when he signed his new contract, was it 2020? Was it, I think? Um, you know, if you have a look at the comments about supporters, this is great news, future Everton captain, um, you know, and all that type of stuff, you know, future of the club, you know, and there was rumors of Man City coming, coming in for him. And three years later, for, for a lot of different reasons, mm-hmm. people are saying, "Why are we paying him seventy grand a week? You know, it's rubbish." You know, you, you, you can you know, and, and there's reasons for that why it's changed, and I know that, and it just shows how how a player's reputation with supporters can can move over time. And uh, yeah, I think I don't know how much of his wages Southampton are paying, whether it's all or half or whatever. But good move for for the player. Um, he probably needs to just to, to rebuild his career a little bit. The only thing is, it gives us one less option in the sense of defence, which I suspect you may want to talk about today. But yeah, yeah it's a sensible move. Yeah, Conor, your thoughts on Mason Holgate? And it's a bit maybe it's a bit harsh to say where did it all go wrong, but you know, he's um, dropping down into the Championship there, isn't he? I think it was an, an inevitable transfer in the end, wasn't it? I think it became quite clear early on this summer that. He wasn't in Sean Dyche's immediate thinking uh, yeah. for the new season. Obviously, last season, he came in towards the end, but I think it's safe to say he enjoyed a, a tour of few weeks. Obviously, the sending off at um, Crystal Palace, and obviously, yeah. you know, he looked a, a tough afternoon against Manchester City, Goodison towards the back end of the season. So, I think this this transfer always felt somewhat inevitable. I think it's quite 
damning, isn't it, that he, he normally dropped down to the Championship. I know Southampton are, are keen to get back up at the first opportunity, but you perhaps would have thought a Premier League club would have been maybe looking among the new boys. I know Sheffield United were, in, were interested in him, but one of the big stumbling blocks there was, was his wages and, and how much he earns and even you know the, the prospect of paying 50% of his wages was still a, a massive ask for a club like Sheffield United. But it's a, it's a sad kind of state of affairs, isn't it, which sum up Everton in the sense of, you know, like Gav said there, when he signed that new contract a couple of years ago, there was a lot of optimism, a lot of high hope for Holgate, and yet he's just not really fulfilled his potential. And if anything, when we're looking back now, you, you kind of get the feeling that unless something major happens or there's a, a massive U-turn or trans, transformation, it's going to be a massive case of what if when it comes to Mason Holgate and Everton. And this, this transfer, like I say, felt inevitable, but there's somewhat of a... I think he's just... He's bored of... Bored of but the kind of the, the backlash has near all the managers as well. I think it's tough, isn't it, when you you know for any player when your club has had so many managers in the short space of time. I mean, you know how many managers have they had since is it three in, in, the, in the time since he or four in the time since he signed that new contract. Yeah. Uh, if we include caretakers, so yeah, it's, it's not. It felt inevitable, but I think yeah, it's a damning indictment of the position and the chaos of Everton over the last few years. Yeah, Matt, is any concern for you? Because I know you've obviously gone on record and saying you're a bit. Worried about um, the centre back options that Everton have got with um, Mason Holgate going out the door. Yeah, I think it's understandable, isn't it? It's been obvious for a while. He's he's not really fancied by Sean Dyche. I think he played quite a lot on the Lampard, and maybe just went under the radar a little bit. And he always seemed to try and find a, a way of getting him in the team. But but yeah, I think he's I think he's ultimately like like both the lads have sort of said. He's he's a victim of the the instability in Everton. I think if you if you look back to when Carlo Angelotti came in, I think it was that first half a season under Angelotti where he, he really kicked on, wasn't he? You know, I remember the game when we beat Watford 3-2 away from home. I remember, I mean, he scored two goals that day, but I remember a lot of people afterwards were talking about Holgate and how good he was when Everton had 10 men in the second half and had to, to soak up a lot of pressure. And then he picked up an injury at the end of that season, didn't he? And was, was out um, for the start of the next campaign. And, and when he came back, he just never quite was able to to realise that form. And perhaps it's another um, indication, and I'm sure we're going to talk about a bit later, as Gav said, that you know, when he was playing next to Yerry Mina, he looked he looked quite good and quite accomplished. So maybe there's a, there's a common theme here with a lot of the centre-backs that they've still got the, at the club, that when Mina's there and they're playing next to him, they look instantly a better player. Um, and yeah, it's, it's one of them, isn't it? it, it, it it's another example of how form ultimately colours our, our opinions of a player because the same things that he's getting criticised for at times now in regards to his attitude and his spikiness and, and, and that kind of thing of, of things that people want to that made him want to be captain um a, a few years ago so it's just not worked out for him um i think the mood's good hopefully you know give himself that benefit quite a lot in terms of transfer fees in, in recent weeks everything have, have got a good deal in terms of his wages because he is in um you know one of our top earners ultimately think isn't he but yeah, I don't really look back at that contract decision and say, you know, and put it with all the other terrible decisions Everton have made in regards to recruitment in recent years. I think at the time, it felt like the right thing to do. And it's just not worked out, this one. Yeah. And then moving to the, the big off-the-field news this week, it was, it was start with you, Gav. Um, the, the MSP Sports Capital, a deal with them had been proposed um, in the period of exclusivity. Um Throughout the summer, there was um, hope that they would attain a 25% stake in the club. It could have been worth 150 million. That deal is collapsed, but they're still proceeding with a 100 million pound loan um, to the stadium company. I mean, it seemed um, a big, 
shock at the time, but is there a possibility, Gav, that people have perhaps over-egged this and what it actually means for Everton? Yeah, it, it depends what what we need in the short term, the long term. In the short term, we need cash, don't we? And they're, they're giving us hundred million um, as a loan. Um, so that that you know fills some of the shortfall on the stadium funding while another deal is done for the the, the remaining balance, which is two hundred and fifty million or whatever it is after after that hundred million is received. So. That that's the main thing that comes out of it. I get I get the the, the frustration over the MSP, you know, the, the other aspects of the deal in terms of having two members on on the board and having a little bit more of access to other expertise and and, and, and possible um, funders. I get that, but in the short term, uh, you know, we are getting the hundred million. So. It's it's not all all bad news or sorts. If we not, we're getting the hundred million, that'd be that'd be a, a different kind of fish. So, um, it's not it's not the end of the world. It's not great, and it's another example of like a, a new story that can be used to, um, you know, batter the club over the heads with. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not so sure about that, but well, the mystifying thing for me though is 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 what I mean. It's been well known what for two and a half months that MSP were going to be. London morning, we had that documents produced yeah. in the United States. That was early June. What puzzles me is why that's this has suddenly only just become an issue now, but right, or a public issue now when it's been known for a couple of months. I can only assume that the delay in getting the, the MSP funding is because Everton have been talking to rights and media funding in that time, you know, to try and, you know, try to resolve the issue. And uh, I've not been able to do so, and in the end, I've had to pull the plug over the entire MSP deal, which, which, was, which in many respects, and it goes back to why clubs are silent. If that's the case, if they have been talking to to rights and media funding, that explains the club's silence, doesn't it? Because they can't yeah. talk about that in public, can they? Because it's it's a commercial issue, isn't it? And um, so when people say, "Oh, the club's not said anything updates about the MSP deal and all this," that's because there's probably commercial discussions going on in the background that we're not privy to, that the club can't disclose. And that's the only conclusion I draw from it. Um, but I'm, I'm getting 100 million is in the short term is, is good. Um, but there is, there is these longer term issues that the uncertainty is, is, not, is, not, is not great and hopefully will resolve themselves in terms of getting other people on board who, who are legitimate. And, you know... And um, hopefully that can be done, you know, sooner rather than quicker. What it does, what it does for the board, which which was an interim board based on on the assumption the MSPD will be will be coming through, and they'd have two people on the board, and we could do structure. What happens to the interim board now? I don't know. Yeah, especially with Machiri still on it. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, like I said, they, they are. Oh, um, inter, it is an, an interim board, as, as Gav says. I mean, um, Connor, you, you were you were in the man in the, the Everton hot seat in the Everton reporting capacity when when that news broke on on Wednesday night. Obviously, I know the club subsequently released um, a statement, but um, it, it, it's kind of. I mean, there've been rumblings in, in the days up up to that, but it still came as a, as a, a big surprise when when the news did drop at that point. Yeah, I think. It was a surprise, and I think you know, 
obviously caused a bit of a frenzy on social media, which mm. news like that tends to these days. I think a lot of people have kind of had the mindset of no news is good news when it being in terms of MSP, you know, and, and yeah. you know it'll be it'll all come out once everything's been finalised, no, you know, all the eyes all the eyes have been boxed and stuff like that. But obviously that wasn't yeah. the case. I think what Gav says is, is spot on. I think you know, in the short term, it's still getting 100 million quid towards the, the stadium, which you know is a massive boost and much needed boost. I think the long term now though is, is where it's interesting because I think you know, like Gav said, when you look at the board and the makeup of the board, you know, it consists of four people at the minute, and many believed it was you know, of that because sooner or later MSP will formally you know get involved with the club and put at least two people on that board, and then decisions will be made then in terms of putting a full time you know proper chief executive, you know, and, and adding more expertise to the board. That is obviously now not going to be the case. Um, and what you suspect now that there probably will be more of a, an interim board moving forward because if Farad Mashiri is, is in conversation, which we believe he is, but other, you know, investors and, and other kinds of avenues, then he's not going to be employing anyone anytime soon to, to take payment capacities because obviously once you do that, that limits who you could bring in because they might want to say in terms of who's the chief executive and, who's the finance director and stuff like that. So I think short term, you know, at least they know that they've got the money and they know that, you know, they've secured much needed funding for the new ground. But I think long term, there's a lot of questions that need answering. And I think Gav says that the most important thing is that some sort of swift solution is found because, you know, as Sean Dice likes to say himself, stuff like this brings a lot of noise around the football club, doesn't it? And I think there's already yes. enough noise around the football club um, yeah. as things stand. And, this just adds to that, doesn't it, more than anything. This just adds to that noise and it adds to the concerns that fans have rightly got in terms of where the club is and where the club's heading. Um, not helped, obviously, by the fact that the team so far have not performed on the pitch. But certainly off it, you know, there's, there's a lot of questions that I think need answering moving forward and what the, 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 the strategy is because it felt like, you know, for the large part of the there will be a clear strategy and a clear vision kind of implemented and, and, and explained moving forward once MSP officially, you know, got involved with the football club, that's not going to happen. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting few weeks, few months ahead, I think, in terms of what Everton do next and where Everton turn to. But at least the positive in the short term is that they've secured that much needed funding to keep the stadium build on track and, and on schedule. Yeah. Um, Matt, as, as, as both Evan kind of mentioned there, it is only an interim board in there in terms of personnel. At the moment, this was a deal that, I think both parties were briefing that they were expecting to get completed. So Gav's question there about why this didn't um, come up earlier, that the hump in the road, perhaps they were feeling they could re resolve it. But yeah, it's another deal that Mr. Mashiri's been, been only able to complete, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I understand what, what Gav and, and Connor are saying. And, you know, it, it just feels like more of the same for me in that sense, because it, yeah. I saw them look at Everton in, in two different ways at the moment, in a sense that, Everything that's going on with the stadium, the way it's, you know, the way it looks, um, all the prep that was done beforehand has been really good. And the fact that they've secured this hundred million pound loan in regards to the stadium it is really good. Um, but it's the other stuff, you know, yeah. the, the investments in in the football club that would help with cash flow, that would help with transfers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, the day to day sort of running and um, bringing in players that, that I think there was the, the big appeal about MSP for me, and not only that, but the expertise they would potentially bring in yeah. with them, um, as well into the football club. Because, as you mentioned, the, the board at the moment is, is a temporary one. Um, and to be honest, when the news came through, it was, it was a bit of a, a punch in the gut for me, yeah. really, because I think you know, we went into this summer again, like last one 
looking at it, thinking, right, things have got to change now at every level of the football club. Otherwise, we're going to be in the same situation that we're in again. And I appreciate that a few people have left the board and there's been a few changes you said there in regards to Colin Chong machine. He's on the board, et cetera, et cetera. But we're going to be looking at a situation now where everything are, are going into or already in a new season with the same people largely at the top of the football club making decisions that, you know, who have made bad decision after bad decision for a long time now. Um, I was at Villa on Sunday and there's only one new face in the starting 11 for that game. And that was a, a 38 year old. Yeah. Utility fallback, we signed on a free. So it, it just feels as though, you know, already we're here. It's nearly September and Everton have missed another great chance at a summer reset, both in terms of bringing in. I appreciate that the, the transfers, um, you know, a few of them are injured. One of them in Chimiti isn't ready yet, according to Daesh. Uh, but off the pitch, it feels like we're just going to kick this this can down the road again. You know, it was only a few months ago we had a situation where it looked like Bill Kenwright's exit was inevitable. Um, and, you know, in the end, he ended up staying on the board in a, in a temporary basis. And now it feels like he's going to be here for, for, for even longer. Um, so it just feels more and more like back to what we were going to be getting with. And that's the club sort of making decisions on the hoof, um, not being able to make proper long-term plans. And that just all feeds into this, This you know, I know Sean Dice sort of dismissed this idea of a, of a crisis club um, so early into the season, but it does feed into that narrative. And, and, and I'm not surprised fans are feeling like this because... Every time it feels like the club are trying to make a, a step forward, um, something happens, be it their own fault, be it something going elsewhere, that seems to, to hamper that progress. Um, yeah, it, it was just hugely disappointing for me because I think it, it doesn't help Everton from a financial sense immediately. And I don't know what that means for, for transfers for the rest of this window. You know, I know you reported today, uh, Chris, that the Shardham deal now is looking probably unlikely to happen at this stage. Um, so what does the, the you know that money they would have potentially set aside for transfers? Does, does that impact us there? And it's the expertise as well, you know, off the pitch. There's, there's, it doesn't appear like there's going to be much new blood, new ideas, new ingenuity, freshness being brought into that boardroom either. And, and it feels like that's sort of the same for the football club at the moment. I think that's the, the problem. So just to cut in, but that's the problem, isn't it? Because with MSP, you felt like they were a safe pair of hands in yeah. many respects because. They had a background in sports management investments and they, you know, they seemed a real reputable company who were well regarded and well respected within the investment circles and stuff like that. And the investments that they made in companies you could see the benefits of and stuff like that. The worry now, I think, is that fans feel that they couldn't ever could end up anyone getting involved in yeah. one not of a respectable nature and someone of perhaps, you know, who's just taking a chance because they can see perhaps you know how desperate it might end up being in terms of needing investment. I think that's the worry more than anything is that it feels like I've missed out on getting the perfect company in or the perfect investment company in to to help them you know move forward and reshape and and, and start you know, doing things differently. I think that's the big worry for fans and understandably so because like I say, you know, I know I find football finance reports they pass on a lot in terms of like how well respected and well regarded MSP were in in business circles. So the fact that I haven't have lost out on on that expertise and, and getting them on board, I think is a, is, is a massive blow for a lot of supporters. Yeah. Just, but yeah, just my understanding is the MSP money was money is only ever intended for the stadium, not intended on helping helping the the, the team. I was thinking it was 140 million, 40 million was to pay back Andy Bell, and 100 million to, uh, for for the stadium. So I don't think it would have affected transfers as such. Um, in terms of giving extra money for the club, what what it does though, I think though is is you wouldn't like you you wouldn't like to, you'd like to think that now we can possibly spend a little bit more money 
in the last. Well, I'm not sure. I'm being really optimistic here. It helps us in the la- in terms of what we can spend in the last week of the season because we know we've got 100 million towards the stadium rather than any some of the stuff that we've set aside for transfers might have been diverted there towards the stadium if MSP hadn't stepped in. So it, it's sort of it's a bit of both really in, in different ways. Um, but I, I agree with what what the lads are saying. I think that having that expertise would have been really valuable on you know a, a board level for us, and we've just got to see what happens happens now going forwards. Because as Matt said, it's just more uncertainty, and it's every time we look as so we get to resolving an issue, it, it get pushed down the road again, doesn't it? You know, and I, I share everybody's frustration on that. I think the issue with, with transfer as well is that. Everton are still working in constraints, aren't they, in terms of FFP, which is a big issue, you know. So there's the, sometimes there's that kind of feeling of even if Everton had a pot of gold, which Sean Dyche quite bluntly said that they don't yesterday in his press conference, that they still wouldn't be able to bring people in because they, they're still working in a threshold because of the four or five yeah. years of spending which they had. So, you know, in terms of transfers, you no know, people were getting into the transfer around this, but I think even if Everton, you know, got Sheikh Mansour in next week, you know, they, they'd still be struggling to to, to, to spend large amounts of money well, because of what, what they've spent before has come back to home, basically. That, that's anywhere, though, isn't it? It's like Saudis and Newcastle, isn't it? You've got the richest country per, per head in the world or whatever it is, but they can only spend so much because of the financial oh, constraints within, within yeah. football, well, isn't well, it? Really? Same now, aren't they? You know, tomorrow's yeah. opposition. You know, they, they, they're really hamstruck in terms of what they can do because, you know, they've gone from not being, being able to sign free agents and stuff to now they're basically signing no one because their wage bill and stuff is so tight to where the, the, the thin line around FFP is that they, they can't or they don't want to take the risk to sign. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's my understanding, like, like you say, you, you could have the Saudis come into Everton, like you say, and they couldn't do it. They couldn't spend at the moment because of those financial constraints. So, yeah, you're both right there. It, that, there's the, that's the reality of the situation at the moment. Um, we move on to on-field, back onto on-field events. Um, Connor, as you mentioned there, uh, you were at Sean Dyche's uh, pre-match press conference um, yesterday, head uh, um, of the, the Wolves um, game. I mean, what kind of um, form did you find the gaffer in? Well, he was his normal cheery self in, in the open <laughs> section, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Bassed away a few questions like a, an Australian batsman down yeah. at the Gabba. Um, yeah, he, he was... I think he, uh, one of the press conferences with Sean Dyche where you felt a little bit sorry for him um, because he's answering questions that he probably has no real insight into in terms of, you know, MSP and financial, reg, you know, the regulation on transfers and stuff like that. And, you know, I know people are alone to, to to feel sorry for people in football because they always look at the wages that they earn and think, well, how can you feel sorry yeah. for anyone who's on X amount a week? But it was one of them yesterday where you kind of sit there thinking, well, actually, really, someone much higher up should be sitting in that chair answering these questions, not showing much, because, you know, what does he really know about the MSP deal? You know, he, he wasn't in, you know, I think he would have been in New York or London or wherever where this deal's been getting broke for the last couple of months. You know, he'd probably been, you know, just hearing bits and pieces as and when someone had an update for him. So in that sense, it was tough. Um, I think it's, it was the football side of things. He's obviously very defiant. He, you know, he, mm-hmm. he, he laughed off the suggestion that they're a, you know, in the middle of a crisis. You know, he's, he said it's, you know, it's two games, basically. You know, you can't, your season isn't defined by two games. And 
you know, the, if anything, you know, he said there's 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 lots to be positive about in terms of the, the first performance against Fulham. I think the most worrying thing yesterday for me from the whole press conference was the injury latest, mm-hmm. because what was already a threadbare squad for Everton all of a sudden looks a lot threadbare, <laughs> and all of a sudden you're putting round pegs and square holes, or you're putting people in positions that they probably shouldn't be in if if we're being honest. For instance, with Alex Wobie and Dwight McNeil both missing tomorrow. There's a chance Lewis Dobbin could start out. I know Lewis Dobbin's done well pre-season, don't yeah. get me wrong, but, you know, would you six, seven weeks ago be saying, well, you know, on the third game of the season against Wolves that many people are now believe is a must-win, you're going to play Lewis Dobbin out wide. They wouldn't be saying that. So mm-hmm. that was the most interesting thing for me in yesterday's press conference was the injury update because it's certainly not getting any, any you know, easier for Sean. I just think he's, he's, each week he seems to have more and more casualties in the treatment room. And you know, like I say, what what all what was already a threadbare squad going into the season is, is you know already become even threadbare now, and I think that's a worry because you know Everton have got a few, three big games before the next international break. You know, yeah. if you play Wolves, Doncaster, and Sheffield United, and it, it feels like it's going to be a case of round pegs and square holes in a lot of in a lot of departments. Yeah, I mean, um, Gav, uh, you were on a scouting mission to Molyneux um, very recently, we believe. So uh, you've got the inside track on, on Wolves. Um, yeah. Your thoughts on this? I mean, some have described it as the, uh, the earliest ever six-pointer. We put them to, to rights because we mentioned, obviously, the trip to Crystal <laughs> Palace back in... in, in, in yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> not, not far well, off, is it? Do you, do you want to know, like, a little bit of niche trivia? Apparently... Yeah. Um, the, the 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 term six points or whatever four points before the three points through the earliest known time it was used was by the Birmingham Evening Dispatch in 1939 about an Everton Wolves game. Would you believe? Yeah. And um, I won't tell you the Wait, score. What's the earliest? The I, I suggest you lock it up. Um, but yeah, I, I thought Wolves <laughs> last <laughs> 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 I, at the defeat that was it was that bad that nobody yeah. would have predicted it. But we still ended up champions. But um, yeah. yeah, I saw one <laughs> I saw one last week. Um, similar team to us, really. Um, not a lot up top, struggling. Um, I think is it silver? Is it the last fellow who plays up front? Yeah. They're not much. They got weaknesses at the back. You know, aging central defence. You got the Dawson playing there, um, and. You know, can play some decent stuff, but you know that they, they they scored. Was it less than us last season? Was was it some, yeah, some, really something? Like that? And you can you can last week you can see why. So the two clubs pretty much in the same same place, I would imagine. And the benefit for us, us is the um, is the sending off is Nibot's name. Nibot's yeah, name. Nunes. Yeah. He's by some distance one I saw last week. Their best player. Um, so yeah, I think it's a it's a winnable game against Wolves. That said, Wolves played really well at Old Trafford, I believe. So it would be interesting to see what happens tomorrow. But I think, based on what I saw last week, they can be got at, as the uh, the phrase says. Unfortunately for us, we haven't got Matoma playing wide left, have we? Or yeah. it's probably Mars playing. You know that that that's that's the difference. And Brighton, as you would expect, we're uh, we're excellent. Um, yeah. 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 But, Again for me, Gavin, that's sense because like I was, I was watching Villa get like levered by Newcastle and then you sort of rubbing your hands together and you're like, oh, wait there, we haven't got 
Isak. And like it's like that with this week, like, you know, Wolves have looked vulnerable defensively, but you know, as Connor rightly said there, you know, we all so down to the, the bare bones in you know the attack, arguably the options are, are even weaker than, than last season. And, and as you mentioned there already, we're already at a point where last season we'd be the second lowest scorers in the league. So um, but I think if you're going to take any small positives from last week, which is very difficult, um, then Dobbin and, and Dan Juma were the, were the two went. I think Dan Juma was full of running. Um, Dobbin had flashes without really showing much in terms of end product. Um, but it, I, I, again, it's like it feels like one of them where we're sitting and I'll it'd be great to see both of those lads on the pitch. But when when it comes to two o'clock on Saturday, are we going to all slump it? I could easily see a situation where when the Mope starts again at the weekend, albeit we might not have much choice. Um, and I also could see a situation where maybe Mikolenko comes in or Godfrey comes in a fullback and he, and he pushes actually up forward into one of the yeah. wide positions because we're, we're so short as well. So it's you know it's it's really difficult. And as much as I'd love to to sit here and go Wolves because four at home last week is right. Let, let's get at them. You know when you compare Matoma, Sally March, Ferguson. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, to the options we've got, it's um, it's it's a big goal, isn't it? Yeah. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I mean, we're mentioning that see those enforced uh, absentees now. Calvert Lewin's out. Iwobi's um, out. I mean, how how would you fill those gaps, Gav? How, how do you see that one going? So we've cool. just lost Gav, um, Gav. There, go to go to Connor. Same on, Connor, you first on that one. <laughs> Well, in terms of filling gaps, me and Matt were talking about this before in the office. Yeah. Obviously, you know, for regular, you know, people of the Royal Blue, Liverpool Echo, Everton readers, will not read your own team selectors, you know, yeah. up on the uh, website. We'd always get it right. Is <laughs> <laughs> the, big, the big thing. We're at, we're at a point where it's really hard to get wrong. This is where, to borrow, I think I'm going to care for people, but I'll tell them how I would start Tom Cannon. Okay, yeah. I would start Tom Cannon up top just simply because it's something different. And I just think you're at the point now where I just do something different. You know, we're just, I know it's easy to say, but I'm just fed up of watching the same thing week in, week out. I know we're only, I know people will say we're only three weeks into the season or we will be in three weeks into the season tomorrow. But the first two weeks have basically been what we saw for the last, the second half of last season. I'm really, you know, nothing has really changed. I just think, you know, you've got a young lad there who went to the championship last season, scored goals, you know, is, is clearly got something about him. Clearly, you know, is chomping at the bit to, give, to, to to prove himself at this at this level. So, you know, put him in. I mean, I don't think Everton have got anything to lose. Uh, people they've got a lot to lose, but I don't think they've got anything to lose by giving Tom Cannon a goal tomorrow. Because, you know, Neil Mope, God bless him, had his chance against Fulham. I mean, you know. If it's not if it's not, not going to happen that day, you start to think, well, when is it ever going to happen? Because yeah. still four of the most yeah. simplest chances a, a Premier League team is going to ever get in a game, if, if we're being honest. So I would just do something different, I think, and give Tom Cannon a goal from the start and just, you know, see what happens. Because, like I say, I just think, you know, Mopay, I think it's just all too predictable now. I think we all know what's going to come. And I think people will be excited by Cannon playing. I think... Yeah, it might not be fluid, but it'll be interesting and it'll be something different. And, you know, we can gauge, I think, how far Tom Cannon is in his progress as well. Because the big thing for me is with Tom Cannon, you don't know how far in his progress he is. But one of the interesting things I do think with Tom Cannon is 
I would argue that it's harder to score eight goals in half a season in the Championship than it is to score the three that Shemetti scores in the Portuguese league sporting mm, yeah. in the half last season. So if we see Shemetti as someone for the future and someone who's going to ultimately get into, work his way into Sean Rice's squad on the back of scoring three goals in half a season in Portugal. Now, I certainly think Tom Cannon should be given a chance given he scored eight goals in half a season, eight goals in 12 appearances, whatever it was, in half a season at Preston. So for me, I, I just think I'd do something different and, and, yeah. and start Tom Cannon. I think ultimately as well, you've got to start Dan Juma. You've got to get him in the start line because he, he looked dangerous against Fuller. Okay, admittedly not beating them in the game as much as he can, but when he did get on the ball, he looked to make things happen. So for me, I, you've got to get Cannon and Dan Juma in the starting lineup. So in some case of Cannon, no, I feel like I'm going to go out and get a Tom Cannon shirt and after that rallying crowd. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's got well, to he certainly fits the profile. The alternatives, don't they? I mean, the players they're being they're, they're being linked to now. Obviously, we know they put the bid in for Che Adams, and I mean Beto as well. I mean, Cannon is sort of closer in their style than the other players who've been playing up top. I mean, your thoughts on that, Matt? And obviously, you've mentioned already. I think there's a strong chance actually that he might put maybe Mikalenko or even like you say Godfrey in at fullback and move Young up to the, the wide midfield area. Yeah, I think that's what he will do. Mm. Um, although I'm not necessarily sure it, it's what I'll do. Um, yeah, it, you know, it feels like, you know if you get beat four 0 you get beat four 0 away from home, when you're playing the team, a, a team that's lost both of their two home games. That's their two games so far at home, albeit you know ignoring the fact that we have as well. <laughs> but it feels like you know the ground is is like rife for just like a few changes, doesn't it? And I, I don't know if people have been listening to this going and be screaming who who's going to come in then, but like you know. I'm sure we people are sick of hearing us talk about it, but you know, Jared Brown for surely the time is yeah. now after you know Michael Keane almost kicked two into his own net last week. Um, you know, Tom Cannon, as as Connor mentioned there, you know, it, it Dobbin plays on, on one of the wings and and listen, like, it might it might completely blow up in our face on Saturday, but you know that if if some changes are made like that and there's some freshness and there's something different in the team, that anybody on the way to the ground, in the boozers around Goodison Park. In the ground already, you'd be keen to get in. You know, when you get that team news for you, you're going to be happier, aren't you? And, you? and the atmosphere is going to be better. It's not going to be turning up, seeing the same lads, turning the same performance, and ultimately the, the same sort of outcome. So it, it would be nice to see something refreshed. I mean, I, the thing I'm most excited about is to see how many goalkeepers we have on the bench on Saturday. Because, you know, we, we have two on the bench oh, okay. with the squad already. But, you know, without, I mean, could we get four on there, do you reckon? But in all seriousness, I think I think what he will do is he'll go young, left, Garner, right, Dan Juma up front with um, the core aim behind him. That, you know, Idrissi Gay and Anana, but... You know, I, I wouldn't be against Madrissa um, Gay coming out. I think he's been poor in the first two games. I think Ashley Young's actually gone low-key under the radar. He's struggled in both games so far as well. So maybe you could move him over to the right or you could play Mikolenko instead of him as well. But, you know, at this point, I, I don't think I don't think the manager could make any change or bring any player out. And you could say, God, they've been out done too. Mm. Um, because yeah. Aston Villa, by and large, that all of them stuck the gaff out. So they're all right for the chopping block as far as I'm concerned. I just think it's it's a case of do something different, mm. you know. Just just try something different or do something different, you know. Everyone's fed up with the same thing, aren't we? Can we can like I think Matt says there, if he does do something different and there's a few curveballs in there, you know, Brownfield gets in over Keane and Dobbin starts and 
Dr. Tom Cannon, Sean listens to his podcast and puts Tom Cannon in. Uh, you know, he's it, not known as being the tinker man, is he? Though, to be fair, no, no. We, well, he, we, know, we know he won't, don't we? But you know, yeah. <laughs> this is all. This is essentially this is all wishful thinking on our part, really. Yeah. But it's just yeah. you just want to see something different, don't you? Because I think you know, we're two weeks into the season, just history feels like it's repeating itself, and I just think you know, now there's nothing to lose, you know, in, in doing something different because. You know, like Matt says there, how bad it was last week at Villa. Let's face it, you know, probably the exception of Pickford because he doesn't really have a backup. If one, if any 10 outfield players got dropped tomorrow, you could not no. complain, could you? You could not, you know, even like James Tarkovsky, oh, a lot of folks on Michael Keane, but someone like James Tarkovsky, you know, being very good for Everton, wasn't great last week, was he? I think probably the lowest rate you probably ever give him, Chris, I think, yeah. it, you know, I, I suspect. Um, so even if he come out, you couldn't, you couldn't argue and say, well, that's a bit harsh because. He was, you know, below par. So hopefully see something different is my, you know, big hope going into tomorrow. Who, who would you go for, Bees? Who, who, would you, who, would you put, who would you go for? I'd probably go with, I'd probably go with Dan Juma up front. And like what mm. um, what Matt said, I'd, I'd push Young into wide midfield with uh, Mikulenko possibly at, at, at mm. left back. But um, it's certainly, like I say, the centre-back in terms of, you know, if, if he's going to, this is an opportunity if he's going to change it around at centre back. This is the perfect opportunity for him to do that. In the yeah. after, well, not not just Keane. Obviously, Tarkovsky was very much a, an off day for him, and it seems bad because both you know two top lads. To be fair, we know they're both great pros, but yeah, David was poor from them than both um, last week. So I think it'll be interesting to... tomorrow as well to see what yeah. Damari Gray. Oh yeah, Got because <laughs> I know I've been in talks with. Yeah. in Saudi over over him going in that the president of that club was was quite public and saying he was open to get him in, but obviously as we sit here now, he's still an Everton player. Mm. Whether he's you know maybe on his way there or whatnot, but you know if if he's not and he's available, would you not just put him on the bench? You know mm. for at least the last ten minutes, you know to bring him on because it's just for me, it's I understand that maybe Sean Dyche is not Demario Gray's biggest fan, but I just think he's an outlet. He's something different and he's got. The ability to do something else or nothing. Yeah, he's yeah. frustrating. But you know, just had him on the bench for 10 minutes to go to bring him on. Mm. Something different. It's a different dimension that could make a, a massive impact on the game. Yeah, well, he's at, well, he's at the club. He's got, you've got to utilise him as an asset. Um, so it's, it's crunch time. It's, it's Gary O'Neill's um, biggest trip to Goodison since the 28th of May. It's the, it's the, as Gav tells us, it's the biggest Everton Wolves game since 1939. When... Um, there were even greater things on the horizon back then, but um, <laughs> oh, just, how is this one going to go, Connor? A prediction? Well, I think Everton will just edge it one nil. It'll be far from a classic, and if we're being honest, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll all think, "God, that was tough to watch." But I think we'll just edge it one nil. I think the home being a home will be a big, the big yeah, difference. Yeah. I think that'll be yeah. the big. I think whoever would have been a home tomorrow would have had the advantage. Mm, uh, yeah. So I think we'll we'll just edge it one nil, but. I think it's going to be a tough 90 minutes to watch. Don't, I don't think it's going to be a, a high-class Premier League fixed by any any yeah, stretch yeah. of the imagination. Matt, your, your um, predictions are often more entertaining than the matches themselves. You well, you're like this one, I'm going to say nil-nil. <laughs> <laughs> no shots on target to make the team. It's just like, yeah, it's just, yeah, I, I just, I, with that front four, like, unless we score a set-piece and, I think our set piece has been pretty awful so far this season. Like, you were a real threat last year, but like, I don't know if opposition teams have got onto them or we've just not had McNeil there, maybe, as, as mm-hmm. our delivery's been, been poor. They've been absolutely dreadful so far. So, 
I just don't know where the goal is going to come from from, from our point of view. And, and given that they were somehow worse in attack than we were last season, maybe their fans will be saying the same about them. So I'll I'll say nil nil. Sorry, these I'm not got a, not got a mad scenario or anything today. Well, I've not got the energy this week. Yeah. Not got the energy this this week to muster one up, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, I suppose it's a, it's it's a clean sheet. You both gone for the clean sheet for the with Lucy. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll I'll complete the hat trick there, and I'll go same as Connor. So I'll be positive and say Everton to nick it one nil in the battle of um, the two lowest scoring sides in the Premier League last season, and the two teams who started with a brace of defeats this time. So onwards and upwards. Um, we'll be back with you um, next week to review all that went on and uh, uh, Goodison Park, and obviously. You, Look forward, inverted uh, commas, to that Carabao um, cup tri- um, trip to, to Donny. And then, obviously, there's another Yorkshire return after that to, to Sheffield United. So, the game's coming thick and fast. And, of course, we'll also have the end, um, the closing of the transfer window on the horizon by then. But for now, I've been your host, Chris Beasley. I've been joined, uh, belatedly, by uh, Gavin Buckland, Matt Jones and uh, Connor O'Neill. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.